Because when you ask help us, that help could be any number of things. It could be any number of things. But Allah said, here's that one that'll answer everything else. It'll take care of you in everything. SubhanAllah. All of your problems will be solved. You know, when you think of a person who's got a good life, Muslim or non-Muslim, listen to this carefully. I did this with Sunday school kids. I showed him some pictures. Tell me who has a good life. I showed him a guy living in a cardboard box, homeless guy. Then I showed him a guy living in a mansion. What did they say? Immediately, everybody. Guy living in a mansion. I showed him a guy who's like, is walking in the middle of the desert. Then I showed him a guy who's like by a swimming pool, palace, living large. What does he say he's got a good life? Guy in the palace. You see a guy standing at the bus stop. You see a guy driving a Ferrari. Who's got the good life? Guy in the Ferrari. Now you tell me. Somebody looks at Fir'aun's castle, and somebody looks at Musa walking in the desert. What are they going to think? Who's got the good life? Fir'aun. Somebody looks at Abu Lahab, living it up in Mecca. Abu Jahan, living it up in Mecca. And the Prophet wasallam, homeless in a cave. In a cave. Anybody else would say he's got the good life, right? The Kafir has the good life. But we say, who has the best life? Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ibrahim alayhi wa just got kicked out of his house. He just got made homeless by his dad. We say he has the best life. He has the best life. Why? What's that one thing he has that nothing else matters now? Guidance. Everything else became irrelevant. Our entire de definition of who's a winner and who's a loser changed. All because of this one thing, guidance. Everything changed. Totally different now. We don't see it in the same light at all. But it's easy to talk about that when we talk about prophets. We have to reprogram ourselves in our living this life right now to start thinking like that. So when you look at the nice house, you have to program yourself to look at that house and say, that ain't nothing. That's not success. I know what real success is. We have to program ourselves into thinking, nice car. Oh, it's nice, but that's not what success is. I know what, I know what you really have to ask Allah for. People look at the guy and say, Allah, that one. No, 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 no. Don't make dua for the new NSX. Right? The concept car. It's beautiful, but it's not success. What should we, what Allah is teaching us, number one thing you ask for is guidance. Ihdina. But he said, Ihdina, guide us. We enslave ourselves. We ask for help. We, we, we. Why? Because we know now. Allah is teaching us, right? Allah could have also taught us, Idini, guide me. I become your slave. I seek your help. Allah is teaching us to ask for these things together in jama'ah. In jama He's asking us to, to live this life together. Oh, why is that happening? Is that my throat? Okay, I'll try that a few more times. He's asking. <laughs> Who's doing it? Hasan Bhai, are you bored with me? Is that what it is? Okay. I'll put it here. The life, the collective life of a Muslim is very important. We have to seek Allah's help together. It's as though Allah is saying, by yourself you won't survive. Part of that is you have to be with other believers. We have to be in community. We have to be together. We have to pray together. And that's why the most beautiful salawat are which ones? The ones in jama'ah. They're the most rewarded. It makes sense like that. So, Now let's talk a little bit about guidance. We just asked Allah for guidance. 
the greatest gift of all. I have this bottle right here, I finish it, which means I've fulfilled my thirst. But maybe I want some more water. So I ask one of my students, hey, could you get me another bottle of water? And maybe my student forgot. So he didn't bring me another glass of water. Am I going to die of thirst? No, because I already had some, right? So I'm not that desperate. So whether I got it or not, if I got it, it would have been nice. But if I didn't get it, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal because I wasn't desperate. Now, if I was dying of thirst, if I was desperate for water, would I, would I ask differently? And if I didn't get it right away, would I ask over and over? I would, right? When somebody asks over and over and over, what does that tell you? They're desperate. Did Allah teach us to ask for guidance over and over and over? It's like Allah taught us to be desperate. But if you and I stand in Salat and say, Dina Salat al-Mustaqeem, Does that look desperate to you? We're missing the point. We're missing the whole point. The whole point of it was to be desperate. Here's the other thing. Who asked for something? Who asked? The one who needs. You don't ask for something you already have. You only ask for something you don't have. That's the case, isn't it? And if you're desperate, you really don't have any of it. It went a lot. You're desperate. You're asking over and over again. What we're learning from that is you and I, we don't even own guidance. We don't own it. Even if we're Muslims, we don't own guidance. Allah owns guidance. And it's so expensive that you have to ask for it between rakahs. <laughs> Not even between prayers. Between rakahs. One time you stood, you went into a ruku'ah, you went into sajda, oh wait. Time to ask again. Get up and ask for guidance again. <coughs> in other words, we're even need of, in need of guidance while we're in Salat, and in between the first request and the second, while you were only doing what Allah wants, even then, it might have gotten rusty, you gotta go ask again. How can we then feel like we don't need guidance in between the Salawat? Amazing. Allah made Fatiha mandatory part of every rakah, didn't He? Man. Ask, then ask again, then ask again, then ask again. And now that you've asked, now go live your life. I'll give it to you. Or wait, but you might forget. So come back and do what again? Ask again, and ask again, and ask again. And you know what? Those few hours, those three hours between Dhuhr and Asr, those two and a half hours between Asr and Maghrib, that hour and a half between Maghrib and Isha, those nine hours between Isha and Fajr, those hours, that's when you know when you really asked Allah or not. Because if you really asked Allah, your life will look different. And if you just recited it, your life won't look any different. So the test whether you really asked Allah or not is in those hours in between. <laughs> if you're wondering if there's a mystery to be solved, it's what are you doing in between those hours? What's happening? Especially the night hours. After Isha, before Fajr. What's going on with your life? What are you doing with yourself? It's, an, it's a call for, for an attitude from us in regards to guidance. We can't own it. 
it's super expensive. It's so expensive that even the most guided of all human beings, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was commanded to ask it way more than even we are. He used to ask for guidance, even Qiyam al-Layl, the night vigil's prayer, were also mandatory on him. He used to ask for guidance even way more than you and I did. So if he's desperately asking Allah for guidance, where does that leave you and me? Who can think they don't need it? Guidance is not the same as knowledge, people. It is not the same as knowledge. Just because you've increased in your knowledge does not mean necessarily you have increased in your Guidance. Guidance is a desperate request from Allah. It does not increase with knowledge. It increases with begging Allah sincerely. You can learn knowledge and still not become sincere. Actually, sometimes knowledge can backfire and make you a retard. It can. There's examples of that in the Qur'an. The knowledgeable of Bani Israel, the Israelites. They were so knowledgeable, the moment they saw their messenger, they said, I know what page number he's on in my book. I know that, I know that by heart, everything matches. I'm still not accepting him though. Knowledge was there, guidance wasn't. <laughs> knowledge itself is not, you know, I, I, I make a point to say that because a lot of times nowadays especially, we have this culture of glorifying knowledge. Learn, 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 take notes, take notes, take notes, take notes, take notes. And there's no culture of glorifying guidance. Transformation, changing yourself. Begging Allah for a transformation. So you guys know names. All of you students of knowledge, you know names. You know dates. You know figures. You know quotes. You know them in Arabic. You know the English translation. You know books. You know the references. But your behavior is horrible to your mom. And your, salah, your prayers are empty. What is that knowledge? That's a joke. Who are you kidding? That's Bani Israel right there. They had books loaded on their backs, didn't they? And Allah describes their hearts as hard. That's what we're becoming, very quickly. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let knowledge become a fashion. Knowledge is supposed to humble us. And one of my favorite quotes, I quote it all the time, because it's so deep, it's so beautiful. Shawalila said, when a tree bears fruit, its branches come down. So beautiful, man. When you really get knowledge, what will happen to you? You will come down, you will get humbled. You will be in sajda more. Like the branch of that tree, will just come down. SubhanAllah. May Allah make us humble as we increase in our knowledge. You know? So, let's talk about As-Sirat Al-Mustaqeem a little. As-Sirat Al-Mustaqeem. The straight path is how it's commonly translated, right? You know, the straight path thing, Sirat itself comes from the word Surat. Surat is a long straight sword. Sirat is a kind of path that there are, number one, there's no alternative route. Linguistically speaking, not religiously. Linguistically speaking, Sirat means a path to which there is no alternative. If you take a left, the GPS will tell you, come back around and get back on this road. There is no other road that will get you there. That's Sirat. That's why in the Arabic language, it doesn't even have a plural. There's no plural for the word Sirat because you can't have multiple. You can only have one. Sabil, another word for path in Arabic, has Subul. Faj has Fijaj. Tariq has Taraiq, Turuq. Shari' has Shawari', Sirat, only Sirat. You got nothing else. Because there can only be one straight path. Just like Allah says, Inna Dina and Allahi, Al Islam. The only religion acceptable with Allah is this one path, Islam, submission to Allah. That's it. That's Sirat. So now, let's talk about this word Sirat. Linguistically, there can only be one. It has to be straight, but, or by definition. It's like a straight sword. 
it's straight. Linguistically also, it's wide. Sheikh Ahmed Al-Kubaisi explains, it's wide. What's the benefit of a path being wide? More travelers possible. Also considered dangerous. Because when a path is straight, historically speaking, when paths were straight, they're easier targets. There's less places to hide. So you're easily known where you're going, so you can be attacked more easily. You're easily spotted because you're headed on a straight road. When the road takes left and right and left and right and detours, you can hide. Which means when people are on a straight path, they are easy what? Easy targets for everyone who wants to attack them, starting with Shaitan and then the rest of his clientele. That is an awesome ringtone. Okay. <laughs> now, it's long, it's dangerous, you're open to attack, it's wide so multiple people can travel, and it's straight. All of that is captured in what word? Asrat. What's the next word in the ayah? Al-Mustaqeem. Commonly translated as straight. What's the problem with that? Straight's already covered in the word? Sarat. So what's the word mustaqim doing there? Istaqama in Arabic comes from the word qama. Qama like qad qamat salah. What does qama mean to? Stand. Istaqama means when something stands straight. Straight upwards. Because you could have straight sideways too, right? When you stand something up straight. When you put up a pole that's straight. When you put up, you know the weighing machines back in the day, they used to have those two scales on sides? The only way it'll work properly is when the middle pole is what? Perfectly straight. Straight balance. It's not just straight, it means straight upwards. Straight upwards. That's important. Let me tell you why. Because Allah is telling us, guide us to a path that heads straight, long, wide, dangerous, and heads which way? Upwards. You're leaving dunya. You're leaving the world and its temptations behind. You're struggling against gravity. Quran describes believers that didn't take their struggle seriously. And he says, You got dragged back into the earth. And here he describes the path where you're going upwards. Now you tell me, if you are going upwards like on a ladder, does that mean gravity stops working on you? No, the only time gravity will stop working on you is when you leave the earth. <laughs> right? Until you're in the earth, gravity will still be pulling you down. So no matter how much worship you've done, how much dua you've made, how much knowledge you've acquired, and you're making your way up and up and up and up and up, temptation, greed, seduction, all of those things will always, always, always be there. If you're a hafiz of Quran, that pretty girl you didn't look at is still pretty to you. It's still, still pretty to you. You're still tempted. If you're, if you're like an alim, a scholar, a worshipper, the temptation to watch the movie is still there. It didn't just disappear automatically. It doesn't. It doesn't go away. It doesn't let you go. It doesn't let you go. And the higher up somebody goes on a ladder, are they safer or more in danger? So if the guy took one step and fell back, he could survive. But if the guy took 99 steps up a ladder and then fell, what happens? Oh, he's done. And he doesn't just land on the earth, he gets, goes into the earth. He smacks into the earth. Allah describes this in Surah Al-A'raf. وَلَوْ شِئْنَا لَرَفَعْنَاهُ بِهَا وَلَكِنَّهُ أَخْلَدَ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ 
Oh man. If we wanted, we would have elevated him with our ayat. But no, he, he went deep into the earth. He became so worldly. Allah is describing people of knowledge, people who Allah gave status by means of religious knowledge, but they became materialistic, and they went after this world, and Allah made them worse, and He compared them to dogs. He doesn't even say they're like a dog. There's at least something like a dog suggesting dogs are better. That's what the ayah's language suggests. That even dogs are better. <laughs> SubhanAllah. And he didn't just convert him to a dog, he converted him to a, to a drooling dog. That's how greedy, little dog that doesn't let its tongue in, always sticking it out. That's how greedy they are. They're hungry when they're hungry, they're hungry when they're not hungry. They're addicted. They're addicted. They become just filthy animals. And they used to be amazing people. They were given the opportunity to go so high and they came so low. May Allah protect us from that. You know what that teaches us? There's no such thing as safe status in Islam. You've reached a certain status where now you're beyond sin. Ah, ah, ah. The higher up you go, the more scared you get. That's why Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, these are people that are guaranteed Jannah. And when you talk to them, or when you hear what they have to say, you're like, why is he thinking like this? Umar bin al-Khattab was told, there are ten names of the hypocrites that are guaranteed hellfire. The Prophet has only told one companion, Hanzalah radiallahu anhu. No, Hudayfa actually, Hudayfa radiallahu anhu. Only Hudayfa knows besides the Prophet who these ten people are that whose names Allah gave to the Prophet These are ten guaranteed hypocrites. Who's the first guy to go ask him? Omar, hey, my name on the list? Am I going to hell? Could you tell me? He goes, look, I can't tell you. The Prophet told me not to share. Your name's on the list though. Get out of here. Come on, don't talk to me. Why are you asking me? Omar is worried because he knows the higher up you go, the more dangerous you are. The more danger you're in. You're not safe. That's why I remind all of you and myself. It doesn't matter how many YouTube hit videos, it doesn't matter how many khutbahs, talks, lectures. Praise is not something that helps a da'i. It does not help a scholar. It does not help a speaker. You want to really help people that are trying to do da'wah of Islam in any capacity? Make du'a for them without talking to them. Don't come in and you're them. That doesn't help them. But you know what that helps? Shaitan comes to me and goes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> Shaitan's got a lisp too in my imagination. <laughs> so he said, yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> right? Doesn't help. Pour dust in his mouth, the Prophet said. Pour dust in his mouth. Kill that culture, Muslims. You're not helping anybody with that. You have to cut that culture out. I know, sometimes, I, I mean, myself and people way more, you know, deserving, get put on the spot, hey brother, can I take a picture with you? And I don't want to be like an evil person, no, you can't. But man, don't do it. Just don't do it. Just make, if you want to benefit somebody, just make dua for them. That's it. Don't create a celebrity culture out of our scholars and our guys and our speakers. It's unhealthy. It's not good. It's not good for any of us. It, it isn't, because I'm Indian, I and others are human beings. Will it eventually get to you? Yeah, you're a human being. Allah described the waswas of shaitan, one of the words describing shaitan, man, it's so amazing. About Adam and Hawa. Allah says, he got them slowly into what he wanted them to do. He didn't just make waswasa once. He took his time. The verb is one of pulling a bucket out of the well. You know how it takes time, like, 
That was Shaitan working on Adam. Little by little by little by little by little located on the tree. That's how it was. He doesn't get you once. He's a little at a time. He's going to take his time. He knows. Right? Whoever takes his time gets to where they want to get to. He knows. So don't do that to yourselves and don't do that to others. Now, we were talking about how this path is headed where? Upwards. Now we know what the path is. Now we know where we have to go. Now we ask Allah, Ya Allah, have there been others who have gone on this path? When you're in college, you ask advice for people that are in the same major as you, the ones who graduated already or the ones who are in the same year as you? You ask help of the graduates, the ones who already found a job, the ones who succeeded. You ask their advice. Because the ones that are in it with you, what's the problem? You have no guarantees and therefore, they have no guarantees. That's why Allah taught us in this surah, Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim